And so as we think about the love of God on this Mother's Day and how we all have benefited from experience of that love through special people in our lives, I also give thanks for my own mother as her baby. Yes, I'm the youngest. And it used to bother me when my brother and sister held that over me, but uh, I want to say to you that I am the youngest, which means you're older than I am. So, ha! Ha! But how grateful for I am I am for my mama, who in every conversation wants to know why I had to move so far away. But I say like Peter Marshall used to say, I take orders from the chief. And I'm glad to be here in this assignment, Bay Presbyterian Church, as we now have the privilege of opening together the Word of God. Do you know what a blessing it is that we can worship openly? And publicly, to be able to take this Bible and open it together and hear someone read it and consider it together and not have to worry that authorities or terrorists would storm the doors and kill us for exercising this privilege. Give thanks, for God is gracious. Together, as we look at Luke chapter 7, today we come to verse 11. I held this in reserve, preaching last week uh, on the Lord's Supper, so that on Mother's Day we might consider this passage. Luke chapter 7, beginning with verse 11. Hear the word of God. Soon afterward, he, that is the Lord Jesus, went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother. And she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bier, and the bearers stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all. And they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us. And God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. And as the grass withers and the flower fades, the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached to you. Amen. How it happened, we don't know. How do these things ever happen? This beloved son, the son of a mother who already had lost her husband, who already had had to deal with loss in her life, suddenly found herself without her only child. Was it an illness that took him suddenly away? Was it something that happened slowly over time? We simply don't know. But what we do know is that Jesus comes to this town, this obscure location, wholly unknown, a practical no place. And yet now we know the name because of what happened there, because of the one who visited that place. That in itself is a lesson. I mean, who are any of us except that we are those who have experienced the Lord Jesus? He has come and has worked in our lives, and therefore we are known to God because of his beloved son. And so this obscure town named Nain becomes something famous because the Lord Jesus 
entered its gates and performed a great work there. He goes there to this location. Oh, somewhere in the vicinity of Mount Tabor and Mount Gerizim, it was rather picturesque in its setting. People would have noted those mountains rising from the horizon. And yet, the beauty of the place is not the source of its significance. It has everything to do with the one who came to that town on this day. There was a crowd already with him. Jesus had a following. Now, we might ask the question, how many of them were devoted and sincere followers? How many of them were just hangers-on, groupies, as we might use the term in our own day? That's impossible to say. We know that there came those times in the ministry of the Lord Jesus when the crowds would fall away. We see that happened in John chapter 6, when Jesus had some very hard things to say. And practically all of that crowd left. And Jesus turned to his disciples and said, will you leave me also? And they said, Lord, where else will we go? No one else has the words of life. But the crowds are with him here. And added to their number are the crowds who appeared when they get to town because of the death of this man, this only son of this dear widow. A considerable crowd from the town was with her. What we see and understand on this occasion is that the Lord Jesus was a man on a mission God in the flesh, come to redeem sinners. And yet, during the course of his ministry on earth, he demonstrates for us and shows us perfectly what it means to have love and compassion for others. And it is not merely a feeling that the Lord Jesus exhibits. He does something about it. And in that, we learn something about true compassion. It's not simply looking at others and feeling moved by their circumstances, but it has something to do with moving toward them and helping them. Jesus was moved by the widow's plight. And by the way, let's just say this. He didn't go there by accident. It's not as if he just happened by there and said, oh, this was all intentional. Let's read between the lines, much as we do throughout Scripture. Think of the book of Esther, for example, in which the Lord's name is not even mentioned, and yet his fingerprints are all over the book. We understand that everything that happens there transpires within the providence of God. And so Jesus obviously went to this town for the very purpose that we read about here. He drew near and he saw. But he didn't just see the events occurring. He discerned what was taking place, that this was an only child and that she was a widow. Luke records that for us here because Jesus had discerned it. He knew what the real need was, and we could be confident in knowing that in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is risen, who is seated at the right hand of the Father, and who is now everywhere by means of the Holy Spirit, that he knows our needs far better than we do. He looks upon us not only with compassion, but those who belong to him, especially being objects of his grace, he is able to do something about our circumstances. He rescues us. And we see that in effect here. But know this. As we repent of our sins and trust in Christ, as we live life as those who seek to follow him, getting close to him invariably will mean that we ourselves will be moved with compassion and moved to help others in need. If we're becoming more like Jesus, that 
It should go without saying. And so, you might be asking yourself, Preacher, why are you telling me that? I mean, that's not the best sales pitch I've ever heard. You get next to Jesus and your heart is going to be broken. We live in a fallen world. We live in a world that is experiencing the consequences of sin. We live under this curse. I mean, even farmers know it. You you can't just plant a garden. You know, you, you till the land and you plant a garden and then you've got all these weeds that come up. Thorns and thistles and okra and other things. And other things that bear testimony to us living in a fallen world. Unless you, unless you coat that stuff and bread it real good and thick with cornmeal and fry it real crisp, then I can eat it. But we live in a fallen world and all of its consequences. We see that every day. But Jesus came into the world not simply to bear witness to what's wrong with the world. He came to do something about it. And here we see that. And as we unite ourselves, or rather as we are united to him by the grace of God, becoming more like Jesus, we ourselves are moved to remedy problems around us. That's why, as I've said repeatedly, there are so many indicators of the work of Christ within the church. That's why you can't go into any town practically without seeing something that is the direct result of Christians wanting to meet the needs of other people. Hospitals. Nursing facilities, schools, ministries which care for people who are down and out. Even in our own area, we have something called Love, Inc. I-N-C. Love in the name of Christ. Pastor John mentioned Cafe of Life. We can't say that word as believers without thinking of the life that we have in the Lord Jesus. There are all kinds of examples of Christians who have been moved because of our Closeness with the Lord Jesus to meet needs of people. Having drawn near to the gate, a man who had died was being carried out. And all that we read there in verses 12 and 13. But look at verse 13. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. Do you grasp the significance of that? He saw her. That doesn't mean that he just took notice of her. Like, I was looking out the window. Yes, I wasn't distracted. I was singing and following Gordon. But I I looked out the window and I was just amazed at the beauty out there. The lake and the sky and all of the indicators of God's handiwork. But we can glance at things and see them. But Jesus saw her. He knew her need. And in that moment, he had compassion on her. Do not weep. How could she not weep? You know, it's like when somebody tells you, don't worry. How many of you have stopped when somebody said that? (laughs) Stop crying. As if we could just simply flip a switch. Oh, okay. (laughs) Glad you came along and told me that. I feel so much better now. But when Jesus says it, it's altogether different, isn't it? Seeing her need, he's able to say to her, do not weep, because he knows what he's about to do. And when the Word of God comes to us in its power and strength and instructs us in the things that God has done, we too can have confidence in Him. Whether it's in our experience of the loss of a loved one, 
or whether it's dealing with the throes of illness and seeing the consequences and the ravages of sin in this world, we can have confidence in knowing that the Lord Jesus has come to do something about it. As uh, we see the account in Mark 1, when Jesus is moved with compassion, he's moved with pity, stretching out his hand and touched a leper. No one would have touched a leper. In fact, it was forbidden. If you touched a leper, you would become unclean, and then you would put yourself in a category of not being able to be around others for a period of time. But, but Jesus is not contaminated by the sin of this world. He's the, he's the remedy against that sin. He was able to touch that leper, and he healed him. But all of that was preceded by his seeing the leper and being moved with pity or compassion. In John chapter 11, verses 33 and 34, when Jesus, who came on the scene of the death of Lazarus and sees the weeping that's taking place and the Jews who had come, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And then that shortest verse in all the Bible that kids throughout the years have found out they could recite that Bible verse and get rewarded with candy or prizes for having memorized it, Jesus wept. What does that tell us? It tells us that Jesus was a man of deep compassion. That Jesus cares. One of the most difficult things I ever had to deal with was when I was chairman of the shepherding committee of one of our presbyteries, the one that I was in at the time, and had been called in as a committee to visit a church and talking to a group of people, just trying to get at why there was so much division there and why there was trouble and One of the most disconcerting things I heard someone say who apparently did not have an axe to grind and was just being honest and said, you know, there are a lot of things about our pastor that I find fault with, but, you know, you could find more fault in me. And I began to listen because I realized here was somebody, again, wasn't out to get somebody, was just being honest. But the lady said this. She said, I could forgive all of that and overlook it if I just had a sense that he cared. And I remember how deeply moved I was. And I think all of us on the committee, as we began to talk to a man and ask him why, how, he could be pastor of a congregation and then have the impression that he really didn't care about them. And I remember thinking back to my systematic theology class with our beloved Dr. Douglas Kelly, wonderful pastor as well as a theologian, who stopped his lecture in mid-sentence one day and said, if you don't love your people, get out of the ministry. And I remember thinking, Dr. Kelly, I wish you would quit beating around the bush and just tell us what you really think. But even when you have pastors and others in your lives who care, ultimately there's some failure, some at some point or other, you will not feel the love and concern and care and compassion from them that you might like. But always remember, Jesus never fails. Jesus will never fail to be compassionate toward you and your need. That His love is always exceedingly greater than any you can know from any individual in the course of life. So when He has compassion, not only... Does he have that feeling of pity? But he does something about our need, as he does for this dear lady. Do not weep. 
and he came up and touched the beer. Now, let me say this. All my life, I have said buyer. But I actually looked this up so that I could pronounce it properly in your presence. And that's what I'm told by Oxford English Dictionary. He touched that, that, that furnishing that this body was laid out on. And he spoke. Can you imagine what it was like to hear this? Young man, now first of all, he's addressing someone who's dead. How does that make sense in our understanding and in our world? He speaks to a dead man and says, I say to you, arise. Now, it's one thing if you or I do that, we might have our sanity question. But the one who is the king of kings and lord of lords addresses a dead man and gives him a command. This young fellow, whatever his age is, he's said to be a man, so we know that he's beyond childhood. He could not do anything other than listen. Because when God is at work, his word is so powerful and effective that even the dead are raised to life. That's what happens in salvation. Those who are spiritually dead are raised to life by the power of the word of God. The word in your mouth is true, said the widow to the prophet Elijah. God's word is truth and it's powerful. And this young man sat up and talked. No wonder the crowd was afraid. Only Jesus is able to meet the ultimate needs we face. We see that in these uh, in these verses. Not only did he touch the beer and speak so that the young man sat up and spoke. But it says, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Harkening back to that moment when Elijah gave that child back to his mother. Don't lose sight of that. And how wonderfully compassionate there that is. And of course, that verse in Acts chapter 4, Acts 4 verse 12. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And we continually are confronted in Scripture with the fact that Jesus saves. No one else can save us. That exclusive claim which is reserved for the Son of God alone. So that we are driven to Christ knowing that there is no one else who can do for us what Jesus can do. No matter how brilliant others may be, no matter how articulate, intelligent, no matter what gifts they may have, none can do for us what the Lord Jesus has done. It is the 14th of May, and it is Mother's Day. It was the 14th of May, Mother's Day, 1939, when the Lord brought into this world Carr Sutton Farley, Jr., my wife's dad. His mother said it was the best Mother's Day gift she ever got. He was her only child. And so he grew up, he attended the University of Virginia. I've got to get it in there, the Wahoos, for my dear wife and mother-in-law, the Cavaliers. He graduated, married Nancy Pretty, and they had two children, my wife being the older and her brother Michael. And for reasons that are known only to the Lord, when Sut, as he was known, shortening Sutton, 
was uh, only 36. He was diagnosed with cancer, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And just days before Christmas, 1976, the Lord called him home. So I never knew my father-in-law, but I thank the Lord every day for him because of my wife and because of the wonderful family that I was able to marry into, I give thanks. And I thank the Lord for his mother, who continues to be a blessing in my life as I remember her, who treated me just like another grandchild. And I remember her saying how that the happiest, or rather the the best Mother's Day gift she ever got was to receive her son, and the hardest day of her life was when he passed away. I can't imagine what she had to endure and what Kathy's mother endured, only having been married such a relative short period of time and now all these years. But when God gave us a son, we gave him his grandfather's middle names, Joseph for my dad, Sutton for his grandfather. And now that our son has had two sons, one, or rather both, have been given family names, Winchester, our older, and the younger, Sutton Robert, who goes by Sut. Sometimes Sutty. And I think about the wonderful legacy that we have in our family through a man that I have never known, but who through faith in Jesus, I one day shall know. I think about the hardship and the sadness and the mourning and the grief that a family had to endure because he left here so early. But I give thanks because I know Jesus has remedied the problem of cancer. Yes, it took him from this world physically. But there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God that is ours in Christ Jesus. Neither cancer, nor heart disease, nor diabetes, nor COVID, nor any other thing can separate us from the love of God that is ours in Christ Jesus. And so on this Mother's Day, as we think about this dear mother, praise the Savior who came to the town of Nain, a place which none of us would have ever known. But because the Son of God came there and did what only He could do, we rejoice and give thanks in knowing that the real problem has been remedied. And who of us could have known about a place of the skull named Golgotha? Who of us would have ever known of Calvary, except for the fact that the Son of God, once upon a time, gave His life there? He stretched out His arms that nails would be driven through them. And in His atoning death, He redeems us. So that nothing that has come about as a result of the curse of sin in this life will ever again separate us from God. And never again will we have to face the wrath of God because the Lord Jesus has endured it all there for our sakes. And so the crowd seeing this great miracle, they were afraid. Who wouldn't have been? Dead people don't just sit up and start talking. They were terrified in the presence of who is this man after all, even though they, many of them had been following him as the crowd was. 
They glorified God, but they glorified God incompletely. They were able to say, yes, there's a great prophet among us, but he is so much more than that. He is our prophet. He is our priest. He is our king. He is the savior of sinners. So fear having seized them and them having glorified God and saying those things about him. Let us praise God with a fuller knowledge. Not just that we see a miracle and are impressed and otherwise wowed by what he is able to do. Let us glorify God and give praise and thanks because we know who he is. It's not merely perceiving him to be what we think he is, but as he is revealed to us in Scripture, as we from Genesis through Revelation are informed about the true identity and true power and grace and majesty of the Lord Jesus Christ, so that on Mother's Day and every day we give thanks to God for the gift of his beloved Son through whom the world may have hope. And I don't know about you, But I am thankful for hope. Another shooting. Another senseless tragedy. Another diagnosis of dementia. Another word that someone has cancer. Another indicator that this world is under the curse of sin. But I have hope. Because Jesus... The light of the world has come into this darkness and he has dispelled the darkness. Years ago when we were visiting in Romania, we were deep underground in something called the Bear Cave, not too far from the town of Beush in that eastern European country, a beautiful area. The cave was beautiful and we were able to see all the stalactites and the stalagmites. and They even had one little section of stalagmites there that they called the Session because they thought it looked like a group of elders that were meeting very, very, very stoically there and carrying out their very formal duties. And just as we were looking at that, the lights went out. And, you know, there's no darkness darker than you have when you're underground like that. And suddenly I was beginning to wonder, does the U.S. State Department even know where this place is? Is anybody going to come to this hole in the ground looking for this group of ragtag Americans who went into this rickety place with infrastructure and wiring that left something to be desired? And would the lights ever come back on? I think it was all a ploy. I think those Romanian overseers there thought they would have fun with the Americans. And so they left us in the darkness for just a minute or so. And then the light came on. And suddenly there was all of that beauty before us. What am I saying? I'm saying that Jesus opens our eyes. I'm saying that he is the light of the world. He raises us to life so that we can see and live. Yes, it is appointed unto man once to die. The Bible makes that clear. Sooner or later, something will take us from here. Now, that doesn't mean that the Lord is unable to heal us. It doesn't mean that he no longer performs miracles. Yes, we know there are miracles. We know that people are amazingly healed, oftentimes from maladies. But we also know that those people who have been healed eventually go on to die from something. Just like this widow's son. Eventually, he left this world. Some illness, some event took him out later. But the real issue had been resolved. 
so that Jesus is able to say, He who believes in me shall never die. And that's the hope and the confidence that we have in this dark world. So I don't care what the news has said. I don't care what the newspaper reports this morning or what is the latest feed on your phone. The Lord is at work. And I know I've gone past, but I've got to share this with you. Because I just saw the Tanners sitting back there. Lucas Tanner, Reformed University Fellowship Minister right here at Florida Gulf Coast University. Shared at Presbytery through his report this last Tuesday that they had their end of the year meeting. You know, when they get together and different students stand up and speak and tell how thankful they are for RUF. Well, as the sharing was ending recently, a girl named Lori asked to speak. Lucas said this student was a self-proclaimed non-Christian with a very loud personality. And Lucas worried just a little because it's a sin to worry. And, of course, he didn't do much of it. For those of you on camera, Lucas's dad just said, yeah, right. He worried just a little about what she might say. She again stated that she was not a Christian and had never wanted to be one. When she heard, however, through friends that some RUF students were going camping, she asked if she could go. And so one friend indicated that if she wanted to go on their camping trip, she should at least attend one RUF meeting. You know, Christians are sneaky. We'll we'll do all kinds of things. You you want to go camping, you really ought to come to to an RUF meeting. Apparently, she really wanted to go camping because she came to the RUF meeting. She came to the meeting, she went camping, and has not missed an RUF meeting since. She testified that lately, she has felt as if something was worming its way into her heart and changing it. Pastor Lucas told her that what she was experiencing was not a worm. but the Holy Spirit working in her heart. And Lori will be attending summer conference this week. So perhaps you might pray for her. That the one that perhaps is beginning to experience that quickening power of the Holy Spirit will experience it in completion and will come to a full and saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Why do I share that? Because God, through His Son, is still raising the dead to life. And on this Mother's Day, or any day, I am telling you right now that that is and will always be good news. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we give you praise and thanks. For salvation is of you. Only the Lord Jesus has the power to save and to raise us up. And we're thankful that on this day, We have this bright ray of light and hope that in the midst of loss and tragedy, there is life in Jesus. Bless us, O Lord, that all of us together through faith in your beloved Son may know what it means to be redeemed and to have life. That we may praise you and glorify you, not from ignorance, but out of a true and saving knowledge of Jesus. And through his name we pray. Amen.
Now thank we all our God. Let's stand together and sing and thank Him. And now may the love of God and the grace of our Lord Jesus and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with and abide with you all, both now and forevermore. And everyone said together, you may be seated. And as you remain seated, just wait as uh, Linda Story and her wonderful family hands out some gifts to you. All of our ladies. Should leave here with a yellow rose. There's a yellow rose in Texas. But there's a whole bunch of them in southwest Florida right now. So give thanks to the Lord as you see his beauty and glory in the creation of these flowers. And then after they've been handed out, everyone has received one who should get one. You may be dismissed. All of our ladies... You say, well, I'm not a mom. Yes, you are. You're a mother to all of us. Everyone.
any lady here who hasn't gotten a rose yet. We want all of you to get one. <laughs> How could that happen? May God bless you as you go forth this day, and may His grace be with you always.